Hello everyone, this is Darshan Maharaja with you. We are embarked on our Canadian journey, uh, episode 4 of this podcast. And in the previous episode, I spoke briefly about the issue of racism in Canada, specifically in the context of the uh, leadership rally of Pierre Poilier for the Conservative Party of Canada. And uh, at the time, I promised that uh, I would be doing a more detailed episode on this. Then some other things intervened and I couldn't get around to doing it uh, soon enough. My apologies for that. But then in the interim, this delay uh, proved to be beneficial because something else popped up. I came across uh, some kind of a survey that is uh, being conducted by the Heritage Ministry of Canada on hate. So I thought it could be folded into our overall uh, discussion uh, of the topic. Let's get to it uh, after this music, which marks the official beginning of the episode. So, as I mentioned in the previous episode, uh, several ethnicities around the world have physical features where individuals from those ethnicities can be mistaken to be white. The whole brouhaha about the uh, attendees, the group of attendees at Pierre Polyev's rally in Calgary was uh, assumed to be white. We still don't know. I mean, they could very well be 100% white, but as I pointed out in uh, the earlier episode. Some of them could be um, Jews, for example, of uh, European descent or people from uh, basically the Middle East, (laughs) Iran, Northern, Southern, whatever, Afghanistan. They could be from those regions and could easily be mistaken to be white. So this whole obsessive focus on how many whites are in any political uh, gathering is uh, somewhat unsettling to me, maybe more than somewhat unsettling. Now, just for context in this episode, I'll give you two other examples and then we can see hopefully that uh, making assumptions about people's race and dense about their motivations and general attitude in life is uh, not the right way to go about judging people, if at all we agree to judge people. My first example is a gentleman I know uh, who lives in the Ottawa area, broadly, uh, some distance away from Ottawa. And uh, his first name and last name don't offer any clue as to his ethnicity. Uh, Physically, appearance-wise, he looks like any other white. But I know that he came to Canada back in the 1960s, I think, or late 50s, as a small child from Lebanon. He is of Lebanese uh, descent and uh, he's also a conservative. So for all we know, he can turn up at uh, one of these rallies and be clubbed together with uh, all the whites. That is example one. Example two, 
is uh, going back three years when I started my talk show on a radio station here in uh, Mississauga. Uh, one day I received an email or the station received an email. The person hadn't caught my name so the subject line of the email just said for the gentleman with the Indian accent. And then he expressed uh, his appreciation of whatever I had said on the show that year. And I replied to him thanking him for his kind words. And this was one of the first uh, listener feedbacks that I had received as a talk show host and the first by email. So then we kept in touch uh, sporadically, not regularly. Once in a while we used to reach out to each other. And uh, I learned that the gentleman is of Italian descent living somewhere north of Toronto, some city north of Toronto. And uh, then uh, gradually our contact died off. When I launched my podcast, I reached out to him again by email saying that uh, if he is interested, he can uh, listen to my views again since he had been so appreciative in the past. And in reply, he said that he his personal circumstances are quite difficult now and therefore uh, maybe he may not have um, enough time to listen to that which is perfectly understandable and actually I am sympathetic to him because he is he said 73 years old um, and if this gentleman of Italian descent who is in in an age demographic that is typically depicted as especially racist because they are quote-unquote still living in the 1950s if this gentleman were to turn up at one of these rallies, whether of Pierre Poilier or Maxime Bernier, doesn't matter, would it be fair to assume that he, together with everybody else, is racist? Because that was the thrust of the whole criticism. And as a side note, I must note that all this criticism about there being only white people in that rally was coming from all white journalists. I haven't come across any non-white journalist making this point. Maybe they have, but the only non-white journalist that I have seen write about this is Rupa Subramanya, who wrote in the National Post, uh, taking an opposite view. So here we have uh, exclusively white journalists objective to uh, objecting to a gathering which they concluded without evidence that it was all white. So there is some kind of a mental gymnastics that you have to do in order to uh, kind of agree with them or take that line. But here is my uh, main objection to this. And I'm going to stick to saying non-white because I want to make that stark distinction between whites and non-whites. The acronym BIPOC is popular, but I'm going to avoid it for this episode at least. The presence of non-whites is not supposed to lend legitimacy to a gathering of white people in a political setting. I mean, am I a token as a non-white person that if I am there, then everything is good, it's valid, it's acceptable. And that if I am not there, and by I, 
I mean anyone like me, if I am not there, then it's not number one. Number two, on the stage with Pierre Polyev was uh, Tim Uppel, Sikh conservative MP from Alberta. So his presence doesn't count. If it was such a racist setting, then maybe Mr. Polyev could have uh, brought some other white MP with him. And elsewhere, we see that Mr. Polyev has uh, enough presence among the non-white Canadians also. And that brings us to one crucial point here. I think this is the part where we should be focusing our thoughts and energies on, which is, if Mr. Polyev um, succeeds in becoming the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, which seems likely, but you never know, it ain't over until it's over. So, if he succeeds, and then later, if he succeeds to win enough seats to form government, whether minority or majority, because again, in politics, you never know, public mood could uh, swing, then would his tenure as prime minister be invalidated because there weren't enough non-white people at one particular rally in Calgary that he held? What happens to all the non-white voters who may have voted for his party? And let's face it, in places like where I live, Brampton, Mississauga, greater Toronto area generally, Vancouver and surroundings, non-white voters will be in large numbers, perhaps in majority. If all of them vote for the Conservative Party or enough of them to hand them victories, then are their votes going to be invalidated because in this particular rally in Calgary, there were no non-white people observed? And again, that's an assumption. I have to keep emphasizing that. That would lead to a permanent state of antagonism, animosity against that government. And given how these ideas stick around in our politics and society, maybe, you know, 10, 20, 30 years after that also we will be talking about this. This is why I think this excessive focus on uh, the pigmentation on the skin of people uh, being given exaggerated importance causes. This is the danger for us. What I bring to Canada is not just the color of my skin. It is the thoughts, ideas and actions that I bring. If I am productive, if I am helpful, circumstances permitting, then I am a good Canadian. And we should all try to become good Canadians. Maybe even with uh, differences of opinion, we can be um, positive towards other people. Which brings me to another point here, which is that uh, initially when this brouhaha broke out about Pierre Polyev's uh, rally, I got in uh, discussion with a um, couple of friends online on Twitter. And usually we are on the opposite sides of the argument, but our arguments are 
um, always in a civil tone. So we are able to have productive discussions. Even while in the end not agreeing, we end up learning or at least I end up learning something. I hope they do too. And uh, the crux of that whole discussion was that uh, there is systemic racism in Canada according to them. And one of them produced a link to a Globe and Mail article from a few years ago where um, human rights lawyers, etc. had concluded that there is systemic racism in Canada. And then that article was uh, corroborated by some study that had been uh, carried out which proved it. Now, I had to take it seriously and it was getting close to midnight so I called it quits from that uh, discussion. But this thing lingered in my mind and that's when uh, a few days later I came across this uh, link of the Ministry of Heritage carrying out uh, a survey to get Canadians' views on uh, whether hate is a matter of concern and it should be um, tackled in some way or the other. Now, the curious thing about this survey is that at about 40% mark, if you say that it is not a major concern, then the survey chucks you out. I saw someone claiming that the survey chucked him out when he said that he is above 60 years of age. Don't know if that's true. But regardless, uh, if participation is invited from people at large, and then based on the replies that they give, if the participation is terminated by the originator of the survey, then it leads me to question the conclusion that the survey would reach. Because, I mean, at the end of the exercise, they can say that 100% of the participants who completed the survey agreed. Now, that sounds very innocuous, but who completed the survey is the catch here because people who disagreed were not allowed to complete the survey. So, how valid are these conclusions when we say that there has been a study and it was by the government and it was open to all? We basically proceed on the assumption that uh, people were allowed to say whatever they wanted. But if they are not, then there is a conclusion that has been decided in advance and then uh, they reach that conclusion by whatever means. So that's another uh, you know, disturbing part of this whole thing. So within all of that, we have to think about whether there is systemic racism and then which gives birth to hate. The whole in, in this whole thing, I think one aspect that hasn't been uh, commented on enough is what constitutes systemic. Racism is there in Canada, just like it is there everywhere. I've written a few articles on that, uh, narrating my experiences in different parts of the world where people were what we call the equivalent of racism towards people of uh, different tribes within the same race. It's some kind of animosity that is uh, uh, derived from lineage. 
I think that is the broader expression for that. Animosity derived from lineage. So, when we see reports that some patient uh, in Manitoba wasn't attended to in the lobby of a hospital until I think he passed away. This is from a few years back, so my memory is a bit hazy on that. But there was another uh, lady patient in Quebec. Now, both these individuals were indigenous. And uh, recently, there was another case in British Columbia where uh, an elderly indigenous person with his daughter or granddaughter, they had gone to open an account in a bank and uh, someone got suspicious, called the police, the police handcuffed them, etc. So, yes, it is there. Racism is there. Question is whether it is systemic. Now, by systemic, we don't mean the apartheid era South Africa, where there could be a sign on the beach saying no black persons allowed. We have become more sophisticated than that. So we have to look for subtler signs of racism. And during my conversation with those two gentlemen, I mentioned that uh, so many immigrants choose to come here every year more than 400,000 plus the international students, that's another 400,000. So, although we are looking at close to a million people coming to Canada with the intention of making it their home. And this gentleman made a very valid point. He said, we cannot restrict their um, desire to bring about improvements in Canada just because they have chosen to come here. That's a very valid point. I mean, I got stuck on that. I said, yeah, you're right. But then the question is, their decision to make Canada their home was based on information that did not include this significant part. The government, and if you look at the website of uh, Immigration Canada, they will say all sorts of nice things about Canada, why it is a very desirable place to live in, etc. So, the government, you know, pardon my bluntness, but the government is being two-faced here. It is addressing two different constituencies with contradictory messages. On the outside, it is saying that this is heaven on earth. On the inside, they are saying that uh, this place is teeming with racism and hatred. So, the only way to reconcile the two, because there is no way to reconcile. The only way to understand the difference between the two messages is by realizing that both are sales pitches. Just as non-Canadians, people who are still abroad, want to come to Canada, just as they are being misled into believing that Canada is paradise on earth, because we know that there are problems here, it's not paradise on earth, that is a lie. That's a marketing pitch. And similarly, the messaging that Canada is rife with racism and hatred and non-white people can only suffer here. Unless, of course, they, the government steps in to protect them. Is equally misleading. The reality lies in between. Again, we come back to the question of whether this is systemic. There are subsystems 
where it may be more prevalent. For example, the instances that I cited about the two patients, one in Manitoba, one in Quebec, and the case from British Columbia, those are the subsystems. Now, people who sincerely believe that there is systemic racism in Canada, whether we agree or disagree with their belief, they believe it. Let's start from that uh, foundation. If they are the part of the system somewhere, they may be a public servant, they may be a teacher, they may be police, they may be firefighters, healthcare workers, whatever. If they are part of a system, then does the fact, according to them, that there is systemic racism in Canada affect their standing also? Does it touch them? Does it make them guilty of either being racist or participating in a system that is racist? Now, if it doesn't, if you confront them with this question, they will definitely say no. So, by the same token, Canadians who are not part of the system are not touched by it. There are improvements necessary. It's a human condition. We aren't perfect. At every stage, 500 years ago, we were imperfect. And 500 years from now, we will be imperfect. The question is, are we supposed to be cognizant of the improvements that we have made and cognizant of the improvements that we need to make without necessarily tarring everybody with the same brush. I think that is the crux here. This uh, increased pitch, almost a fever pitch, of this messaging is what makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Because first of all, we don't like to hear bad things about ourselves. And especially when we are not convinced. And there may be perfectly valid grounds for believing that this doesn't touch me. I have never been a racist to anyone. Don't judge me by the color of my skin. Which was basically the message of Martin Luther King. In half a century, we have turned it around to the opposite. If we discuss this and if we are able to arrive at greater agreement, consensus may be impossible here. But if we are able to arrive at a greater agreement that there are improvements that need to be made, but at the same time you don't paint the whole society or the numerically dominant part of the society because white people are still what's about 65-67% of uh, Canadian population. If you don't tar them, you will secure their cooperation in whatever you are trying to achieve. Instead of that, what we see is all sorts of uh, misleading narratives being uh, projected, heartily parroted by many in the commentariat in the panditocracy. And then policies being framed around that as if it is God's own truth. And that is where much of the opposition comes from. Unfortunately, people become emotional about these things and then uh, the focus of the discussion is the manner of expression of that opposition rather than the underlying reason for the opposition. Maybe we can work on that. It's a 
common journey. We are all on this uh, journey together and as co-passengers. If we cooperate with each other, we'll have a better society in the end. Those are my thoughts on this for now. Maybe I'll have something else to add to it in the future. In the meantime, whatever you think about it, let me know in the comments. And uh, as you know, I'm always happy to incorporate even contrary opinions in my thinking, like I did for those two gentlemen with whom I had a lengthy debate and we kept going back and forth and they made some valid points. Uh, making valid points is not a monopoly on any side. So I look forward to your comments and your contributions to this shared journey of ours. Until the next time, goodbye. Um.